This is a good one, folks. Straight out of my marriage counseling practice. I work with this specific issue in every marriage I help in therapy. And my clients just soak this up. They get really good at identifying it. And when they do, it takes the fight out of their marriage. Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey, everybody, this is episode number 94. And what we are going to reveal today is that the very things you try to do to save your distressed marriage are, in actual fact, destroying it. Seriously. Wow. That's That's mind-blowing. And what is even more shocking is that this exists in every marriage and, true to form, it exists in its stereotypical format in ours, Berlinda. Really? Yeah. I'm sure it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's called the pursue-withdraw cycle where the wife attacks, as you just saw. (laughs) And I withdraw because I'm trying to process what she meant by that. Oh, nice try. I'm still thinking. So in our case, typically you demand or pursue and I withdraw or distance myself. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Even if your marriage is healthy, you're still doing this. But in a distressed marriage, couples resort to this in order to try to save themselves or, or save the marriage, but they're actually hurting the relationship. Hmm. So it, well, that's what's kind of funny. A little bit's normal, but in a distressed context, it amplifies and that it actually perpetuates the problem and, and makes it worse. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about how this works with a quick explanation and example before we jump in. Very simply, the pursuer is going to keep coming at you because the pursuer is afraid of losing their spouse. I'm afraid of losing you. I'm going to keep coming at you. Right. Negative emotional connection feels better than no connection. Mm -hmm. The distancer is like, well, I am overwhelmed. I can't fix this. Maybe if I retreat or withdraw, it'll be calmer and I won't lose her. It'll just settle down. It'll sort itself out. Yeah. And you see both of them in there. They're trying to keep each other. Now, what's the very thing the pursuer wants in pursuing? The connection. Right. But what does she prompt? A distancing. Yes. Pushing. And what's the very thing the distancer wants? Same connection. connection with, mm-hmm. with the calm, soft part of his wife's character. Mm-hmm. But what does he prompt by withdrawing? <clears throat> I'm going to turn the volume the up attack. so I can get through those walls, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this isn't funny, but... I think it's funny in that it's so true. It's so true. Yep. Okay. So without a real specific example, uh, let's just give an example of how this works out in our marriage. Okay. Our taste. So when I get upset about something, I usually come to you in a big rush of like 5,000 words in about 20 seconds. Uh And if you don't respond... I'm already feeling overwhelmed. (laughs) But then I get mad. Because... Because you're not listening or I don't feel like you're listening to me. Right. And so I get louder to try and like, hello, yep. I'm here. Yep. Because so you want. So I'm pursuing. Because I want you to pay attention and to make me feel loved. Yeah. I want and that connection. Yes. And when I'm sitting there for, for my part, it's like, let me just kind of connect with this here. I'm in the middle of doing something. I'm in the middle of doing something and I hate being interrupted halfway through. Yes. And, and I'm recognizing this is important to you, but I'm also getting overwhelmed by the emotion. Like, and I have to kind of hold on to myself because I'm going to go into self-blame and maybe helplessness. Okay. Right. And that, to you, that looks like withdrawal because then I'm processing my own junk. 
Yeah. And you're not talking to me. No, no, no. Right. Yeah. And so that's me withdrawing. And so what are you looking for in that moment? (laughs) I'm looking for a safe place. (laughs) I want a bomb shelter I can crawl into. Is it that bad? Well, it hasn't been that bad for quite a while, but that's how it goes. Yeah. Wow. You're like a clam, honey. A clam, yeah. My brother and I used to dig clams when we went on holiday to New Zealand every once in a while, and we'd put them in a bucket of salt water after we dug them so that they could kind of open up and spit the sand out. And you'd see these little guys that do, 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 and they're shooting all the sand out because it's really hard to chew on sand. And we used to like to stick our finger in there and just kind of touch them or touch the very, the whiskers on the end of the little thing that was shooting out the sand. And wham, they would suck everything back in and shut down. And that's kind of what us guys do is like, uh, as soon as there's any threat or it, like it doesn't feel safe or it gets a little bit scary out there, we shut down. Yeah. Which uh, leads our wives to increase the volume. Okay, let's break this down and and try to really understand it for Linda or explain it so it's understandable. So this demand withdraw pattern is really where one person, uh, typically the demander, is criticizing, nagging, making demands of the other, while the spouse who is withdrawing avoids confrontation or withdraws or just becomes silent. So it doesn't always have to be loud. No. And and we'll talk about the genders we've been stereotyping here. We'll talk about that in a sec. Okay. So... Eldridge et al. in 2007, they looked at this demand withdrawal pattern in 128 couples and they divided the couples into three groups. There were severely distressed, moderately distressed marriages and not distressed marriages. And they got people to kind of analyze themselves and they videotaped some discussions of relationship problems and they compared them. And they came to these conclusions that there was a link between the level of couple distress and the use of the demand withdrawal tactics. So the more distressed mm. the couple was, the more they used this cycle. Okay. Gender differences were found. Wife demand, husband withdraw was more common than husband demand, wife withdraw. Hmm. So typically the wife is the pursuer, demander, attacker, and the husband is typically the withdrawer, distancer. But it can go the other way. Yeah. So I learned in school, you do have a small group of couples that are both demand, demand Mm -hmm. at each other. Oh, that'd be scary. Yeah. That looks very hostile. Yeah. It's one. And then there's also the withdraw, withdraw. Yeah. Which is kind of like they always have that gray storm cloud kind of hanging there, but it never like thunderbolts and let it lets itself out. Or it could just be kind of a plain sort of stony feel to the marriage. Hmm. They're both withdrawn. Oh. Yeah. So, but typically most marriages have a wife that finds herself demanding and a husband that withdraws. And hence the proverbial man cave and the proverbial nagging wife. Mm. Like there's no such thing as a woman cave. Nobody talks about that. That's because our whole houses are doing. <laughs> there may be other cultural reasons, but I think there's a point. Or nobody complains about a nagging husband. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, that's another episode. <laughs> but I think those things come out of a out of a part of the, what they're born out of is this situation that typically in marriages the wife is demanding and the husband okay. is withdrawing. Got it. And so, looking at this a little further, another study from 2009, they looked at diary ratings when folks were fighting and how they talked about it. And the individual who initiated the conflict usually predicted the demand withdrawal pattern. Now, this is a little bit different than the research that I've just mentioned, okay? It's just another mm-hmm. perspective on it. When husbands initiated conflict, it led to the husband demand and the wife withdrawing. Hmm. When wives initiated conflict, it led to wife demanding and husband withdrawing. That makes sense. Yeah. And this does highlight a useful point, though, which is that in marriages you'll remember that the previous study looked at very distressed, moderately distressed, and non-distressed. But they were all distressed, yeah. 
or no, they no, weren't, they weren't non-distressed. all distressed. Okay. But the more distressed the couple, the more they used demand withdrawal. And the more typically it was female right. demand. Okay. So this couple, they weren't isolating these researchers. How distressed, yeah, this, these researchers were not isolating how distressed the marriage was. They were just saying they saw a fight and here's how it went. Okay. Whoever initiated it was demanding. Okay. The other person was withdrawing. Which highlights a useful point that in normal marriages, it does flip back and forth. So whoever's got the yeah. problem and starts the conversation typically is more on the demanding side and the other's typically more on the withdrawing side. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But when we fall into this pattern, there's a greater likelihood of using negative tactics when this pattern is present in the conflict. Like there's more likely to be threat, physical distress, verbal hostility, aggression, and there's more negative emotions, anger, sadness, and fear. And there's less use of like constructive conflict resolution tactics, like using affection in there or providing support or working through mm. problem solving or compromise. And there's lower levels of positivity. So this pattern is, even though it's so common and we all do this, it doesn't work that well. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Got it. All right. Now there's a classic example of this in the Bible, just so you know, this isn't something new to North American culture. And it's in the story of David and Michael in second Samuel six. So in the back half of the chapter, and this is like a thousand years before Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the back half of the chapter, she gets upset with him. And as soon as he steps into the house, or I guess the palace, she blasts him. So there's the demand yeah. pursuer attacker. And he responds with anger initially. So he does attack back. But the last verse of the chapter is very telling because it says that she had no child to the day of her death. Oh. In other words, they never had sex. So there was no intimacy. So he completely withdrew from her. I'm interpolating yeah. there. But yeah. it seems to be reasonable to conclude that. And it's an extreme example, but it showcases this demand withdrawal pattern. And if you look closely at the backstory of her life, all she wanted was to be close to David and to be special to him, but he let her down a number of times and significantly so. Yeah. And in this, in their marriage, this particular intimacy or particular point was the breaking point as far as their intimacy went. And so they had that same demand withdrawal pattern. Yeah. So these patterns perpetuate conflict. They don't ever work to solve it. And just to prove that point, another piece of research from 2009 looked at some of the consequences of the demand withdrawal patterns. And they found that most conflicts that involve demand and withdrawal patterns do not result in resolution. Wow. The problem doesn't get solved. Yeah. Most resolutions do not involve agreed on change. They also found that. And if there's a demand withdrawal pattern going on, it predicts amongst the participants in the couple, it predicts less satisfaction with the outcome of the discussion. It just doesn't work. Yeah. That makes sense too. Okay. And so if you're listening today and you see this in your marriage, you know this to be true as well. And so the question then is how can couples move out of this demand withdrawal pattern? So I actually have another question. What's that? Like, how do they see this in their marriage? Like, it's really easy to, you know, hear about it and, oh yeah, that's the demand withdrawal. But when you're actually in it, like sometimes unless someone points it out, it's really hard to see. I think, yeah. Well, you correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay. But. Oh, I will. (laughs) (laughs) When I work through this with couples. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of just asking, they have some fight that they want to talk about off the bat. And I'm like, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? Mm -hmm. And I do this. And, and after a while, so, and then I'm asking, and then how did that make you feel? And then, you know, we kind of break that down a little bit further. We say that we go down, right? And what I say is, well, uh, what I see happening is this, and I I present the pattern back to them. They're like, yep, that's exactly how it happens. Mm -hmm. What I'm hoping is with this episode, by identifying that this pattern exists, even without doing that work, people will be able to see, yeah, when I get loud and I come at him and he shuts down or he just brushes me off or doesn't pay attention, that's him withdrawing. 
And this is, I hope, just giving you some words to put on what's happening so you okay. can see the cycle. Okay. That's my goal here. Okay. I'm good with that. Is that okay? Yeah. So now what was your question? So uh, how can couples move out of this pattern? Okay. Good question. We've right? now identified it. Yes. And so to move forward, we can focus in on these common gender differences in this issue to see how husbands can move out of their avoidance and their withdrawal mm-hmm. and stay engaged mm-hmm. and how wives can move out of attack mode and pursue in healthier ways. So that's where we're going with this. Okay. But if you're looking for the words to use, you need to get a hold of the bonus PDF for this episode. I know it's sometimes great to understand the theory, which we're talking about, but this file will give you the language and the words you can actually say to your spouse. Oh, and we've good. got options in there for both the pursuer and the withdrawer so that you can kind of come back with a, you know, a different question. They're not really weirdly phrased or kind of goofy therapy questions. These are questions that are real life and you can use them in your conflict. Okay. So you can get that by sending a text message to 9292 spouse with just the word podcast in the message. That's all. The system will respond and ask you for your email and first name, and then it'll, we'll send you a link to the file. Or if you want, you can also get the file by going to our blog post for this episode. The short link to that is oif.link slash 94. Look for the gray box with the orange button as you scroll down. Again, you'll need your first name and email and we'll shoot you a link right away. All now, right. How can husbands stay engaged? Okay. So the first thing is to think about how you can verify your partner. <laughs> Do a credit check. I or... need your three digit, three digit CBV. Code. Yeah. <laughs> but this is about validating and showing them that they're understood. Okay. Okay. So this is from a study that looked at the important role of how uh, wives can feel misunderstood in this demand withdraw pattern. Hmm. So when the demand withdraw pattern is going on, it can lead to a disconfirmation of the demanding spouse's identity, which is a scientific way of saying the other person felt misunderstood. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you just say that? Well, because the other words are important. Disconfirming someone's identity is, is significant. If you don't do anything to validate your wife's claim to truth, she's shouting at a wall. Yeah. And that makes her feel unacknowledged, unvalidated, and it erodes her identity or a sense of self because Mm -hmm. she's receiving a signal that says she's not worth responding to. And uh, wives, namely for Linda, just before you go, yes, he's such a jerk for doing that to me. Were you going to do that? No, I was just going to point out that when we used to talk on the phone when we were dating... Uh-oh. I could always tell when you were like on the computer or surfing the net or whatever, and you'd be totally distracted. And I felt like I was talking to a wall. Anyway. But now that I have that off my chest, you can go on. <laughs> I'm glad we had this discussion for the 32nd time. But you even even notice that. Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I do do that. Yeah. I, I validate what you're saying. Thank it's, you. It's accurate. I feel so listened to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just remember the one thing though, when... That what you said is a little bit of a different situation because that was just bad communication skills on okay. my part. Okay. But when you're attacking and your husband is, is giving you the wall, he's actually doing this because he's desperate to save the marriage and he wants you to be happy. Really, really hard to believe. And I know you're giving me those. Yeah, really eyes right now. But he believes that doing nothing is better than making it worse. Yeah, I can, can get you accept that. that. Yeah. So just, just try to accept that. Of course, it's not helpful. No. I'm not saying it's helpful. But the motivation is genuine. Yeah. And honestly, Verlinda, I've yet to see an exception to that in any couple that I've counseled. Really? Yeah. He's never actually trying to... Ignore you or... Disconfirm her identity or or deliberately cause her to feel misunderstood. Yeah, we all get our ugly on sometimes, but that's never been a consistent, like, I want to ruin this woman. Yeah, yeah. 
But don't miss the point here, right? If the wife does not get validated, she feels misunderstood. It actually disconfirms her identity, meaning that it sends a signal that she's not a person worth giving attention to. She's a nag. She's not a person. Mm. So that's a serious business, right? Yeah. And this, but this applies to guys in the case where the wife withdraws too. So their results showed that both husbands and wives feel less verified by their spouse when their spouse withdraws from conflict. And this is tough because withdrawing seems like, okay, we got to go calm this down and then we'll come back. Mm-hmm. But just, just hold the point that it does go both ways. Okay. Yeah. And some couples, of course, and we do this too, the wife demands, but then withdraws and stonewalls. Oh, I might've just said something about you there. But anyways, it works for both genders. Okay. But when I withdraw and stonewall, it's because I have all these feelings inside and I just want you to ask me about them because I don't want to like dump them all on you. Because you're trying to protect me? Yeah. That's very interesting. But what stops you from asking me to... But but hang on a sec, because that's scary for me. Because I'm pretty sure they're angry negative feelings that I'm going to receive the brunt of. And yet you're wanting me to come and go exploring like it's fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. So this is how we get stuck as couples, right? Hmm. So these. you <laughs> <laughs> go. I think we'll be discussing this over lunch. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get myself back on track here. If I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it works for both genders. We can yes. both withdraw yes. from conflict. And just going back to this point, what the guy is usually trying to do is come up with a solution or just figure out what went wrong, or just let it calm down. Yeah. So my question then is, if a husband needs some time away to think, how can he verify and affirm his wife before he just withdraws, or instead of just withdrawing? Yeah, that's a good question. So here's here's the clincher for husbands. How can you validate her? How can you verify her just to give her something that she's real, and you acknowledge her, and you're staying connected with her, and you affirm her? Mm-hmm. Because in every argument, your wife has some claim to the truth. Mm -hmm. She may be exaggerating and she may have just dumped a laundry list of your failures on you. She may be, I'm not saying you do this, babe. You don't have to take this personally. She may be. (laughs) (laughs) Then you (laughs) laugh. Sitting over there scowling at me. But she may be globalizing, which is like, you always do this and you never do that. She may be catastrophizing, making it sound as worse as it possibly can, or just plain exaggerating. So I'm not saying this is easy. It's actually really, really hard work. But hey, you're used to hard work and this is hard work that's worth doing. Mm-hmm. So in every situation, you, my dear husband, should be able to say at least this one line, I can see how you feel the way that you do. Or at the very least, you may be right. It's just sending something back that says I'm listening. Yeah, I can see how that might be. Yeah, but this has got to be real. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like you can fake it like, oh, you might be right. <laughs> yeah, it can't be like, oh, man, what was that line from Caleb's podcast? I wrote it down on my sticky note in my wallet. No, it's got to be honestly, though. Just validate your wife back. Yeah. Yeah. And so think about what the statement does, though. It says you're not crazy. It says that your feelings are valid given your beliefs and perceptions. And I am hearing you. And what did you just do when you did that? You confirmed her identity and you sent a very powerful signal that says, you don't need to yell at me to get me to engage. I'm here. I'm hearing you. And because I'm hearing you, I'm with you. Oh. that will diffuse. Yeah. It'll break you out of this pattern. Now, I don't want to oversimplify here. If you've been doing this for years and you think yeah. that one line is going to put your marriage back on an even keel within the next 14 days, good luck. But if you're in that situation, what you need to do is find an emotionally focused couples therapist. Mm-hmm. That's the specific term for it. Like myself, 
I'd love to help you if you want to do virtual counseling or you can find them locally. Just reach out to me through my website. But the principle is there. If you can figure out how to convey empathy and to confirm her identity by just validating her, it will help a lot and by staying connected with her. And so just remember that this withdrawing, it perpetuates the conflict. And even if you can just stop and validate, make that connection that you understand her and then ask for a half an hour or a day to think about it, it'll go way better. It's not saying you can't have time to go sort it out. Yeah. It's just saying give her connection. Yeah. And don't ignore it either. Don't say I need some time to think about it and never. Yeah, you have to keep that promise. Come back, yeah. So Verlinda, let's look at how wives can reduce hostility. Why do you sound so happy there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just having fun with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a pattern and there's two people in it. It's a dance. Mm-hmm. There's two people in this dance. It also helps the husband a lot if the wife can be less hostile. She wants connection. She wants to be understood. Those are valid feelings. But the need is so desperate that she may end up coming across in a way that prompts his withdrawing. This is where we need to both own our part. And so another researcher was looking at this uh, in a study from 2008, looking at the effect of hostility on couples in the context of serial arguments. So just coming back to the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we learned earlier, negative tactics such as hostility and aggression, they're common in demand withdrawal patterns and typically coming from the demanding individual. And so they show up very frequently in these serial arguments Mm -hmm. or keep coming back. But one way that a wife can move forward is by reducing the hostility and the attack qualities or aspects of her pursuit. So it's okay and it's good for you to go after your husband, but let's lower the hostility attack component. Okay. Make sense? Yep. Lower the emotions a little, even. The expression. The emotions are valid. They're there. But how can how can we channel that energy into a, health, a healthier Ooh. approach, right? So... Here's some recommendations from the research. Number one, avoid negative startup or what we call in other episodes, harsh startup. Yeah. And it's a, it's a term that this researcher took from Gottman, but negative startup is when an individual, often a wife begins an argument in a highly intense and negative way. So before even starting the conversation, just pause to consider how to start it calmly without hostility and unnecessary anger. But what if you're a really intense person? Do you still need to like be boring? No, this isn't boring. It's just um, the difference between, like, let me put it this way. I can't ask you to decrease how important you think something is. Yeah. It's not really fair. But whether you communicate that importance through an attacking type approach or a... Is that like a blaming? It's name calling. It's a raised voice. It's Uh, an aggressive body posture. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things that, that convey threat. Okay. Immediately okay. when that happens, I'm in self-defense and I'm, I got to protect, right? Yeah. And so I've got my, my shell up or my wall. Yeah. Right. So there I am withdrawing. But if you can come out and communicate that importance in a way that, you know, your husband still gets a clear signal that he needs to sit up and listen, but he doesn't feel like it's a personal assault and that he's in danger. You're going to have a much likely, uh, what am I trying to say? A much More likely. better likelihood of a good outcome. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, you know, as part of this avoiding negative startup, the second thing that you can do is actually between yourselves is talk about how to handle arguments before they happen. Mm, like yeah. not just before. Yeah. So one thing. Stressful. Yeah. And I've worked with this on couples where they figured out how to address issues 
when they see the issues on the horizon, not when they're in them. Classic example Mm. is couples who argue about in-laws around the holidays. So instead of waiting till a time of stress, when your in-laws are four hours away or coming the next day, these conversations should happen in November. Mm. Or I guess we have some American Thanksgiving people here, so we'll go to October for Americans. Yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah. So you're talking about them when you're not in the middle of those raw emotions. And this requires some forethought and planning, but I've seen this work really, really well for couples. It's figuring out how to do hmm. the arguments ahead of time. That's good. Yeah. Another thing is building awareness of how you escalate, how you kind of, how your clock gets wound up, the so dance. to speak. Yes. And this is the way in which couples can become aware of the communication patterns they typically go through. So building awareness of how their communication usually goes and escalates and becomes a fight where she's attacking. What you can do is you can watch that process and look for danger signals inside yourself. And those danger signals are something that comes right before things start to get hostile. And he starts to, you start to demand and he wants, you start to demand and he starts to withdraw. Thank you. So what you're doing is you're watching for kind of how your, your pot starts to boil. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So individuals who engage in hostile demanding, they can learn what tends to set them off. They're triggers. Yes. But here's the thing, Verlinda, is those things, like we often think is a button that gets pushed, but the reality is there's like six or seven buttons that got pushed before that. And that one was just the launch sequence. Oh. So if you can get those buttons that are far earlier back down the track, like the mm-hmm. earlier links in the chain and break them and, it, and learn to catch those as the time when I need to go talk to my husband mm-hmm. rather than the big red button being the time. Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Um, you can really start to catch yourself earlier on and deal with things before they're as intense for you, which naturally That's... is going to keep you out of attacking mode, right? Yeah, yeah. You'll be calmer. Yeah, because then what you want to do with that awareness is you want to find ways to break that pattern. So oh. you use those things as a signal for yourself. Ask yourself, okay, if I'm feeling that, I've got this early signal, what do I need to do? And for the immediate moment, it might look like taking a break from the conversation to calm down and coming back to it later. Or as you're kind of overall looking at this, it might be thinking about past arguments to think about how you wish you'd done them differently as you watched yourself get more and more frustrated and then bringing that change into this argument. So why don't I go this route instead of just letting it keep going down that one? Yeah. It might mean doing something like that's stress reducing right before you have a difficult discussion. Have a bath, do some deep breathing, meditate, whatever works, Hmm. pray. But as you learn these danger signals, you're also teaching yourself to catch issues at a much earlier stage and have those conversations before you're feeling as intense about them, like when they're not as hot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's a simple but huge step that you can implement today. That's pretty good. So like I said before, I know sometimes it's great to understand the theory of how these things work, but if you need more practical suggestions of the words to use and how to use language to help yourself through this, Make sure you get the bonus PDF file for this episode. We've got options in there for both the pursuer and the withdrawer, both the demand attack person and the distancer. And you can get that PDF file by sending a text message to 9292 spouse with just the word podcast in the message. That's all. Remember, if you have to pay for your text messages, this will take a few messages back and forth. So message rates would apply. The system will respond. It'll ask you for your email and your first name, and then we'll send you a link to the file. Or if you want You can also get the file by going to our blog post for this episode. The short link to that is oif.link slash 94. Look for the gray box with the orange button as you scroll down. And again, you'll just need your first name and email, and then we'll shoot you a link right away. Sounds good. So next week, we are talking about the three styles of marriage 
and how that creates conflict and other issues when each spouse came to the marriage expecting a different style. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. That's traditional, complementarian, and egalitarian. Those are the three oh, styles. Oh, like whether the man is the authority and makes whether all he's the decision. The yeah. Or whether you're equal or. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 94. If you found this helpful and you would like to help us reach more marriages, please open your browser to oif.link slash give. We have had people asking how they can support what we do. And if this is you, we would love to have your help. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the OnlyYouForever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at OnlyYouForever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.